This podcast is brought to you by CDKeyOffers.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom. And uh, just introduce yourself. Hey, yo, I'm Dan. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm getting tired of saying Fortnite at the beginning of every episode. I'm too tired right now to come up with a catchy thing. So let's just just say it. Just say who you are. Come clean. Let's let's get going, Dan. I admit I'm Dan. You admit you're Dan. I confess. Now, Finally, Moore's Law's dead confesses. Um, what? What? Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, spent some fun time in the lab as I usually do, but other than that, not too much else to say. You know, pretty much anytime we're going to record a podcast or get on Deep Rock Galactic with the voice. It's just like, Dan, what are you doing? It's like, let me confirm when I'm leaving the lab. That's just the answer you send me almost every day. No matter what we're doing, just it's let me let me confirm when I'm leading, leaving the lab. Yeah, I'm working hard, trying to get some data. Hopefully we'll get a paper out soon. I'm looking forward to when we get a paper out, though. Indeed. And I guess that is a good thing to put in perspective, then, is it's just like, I don't I do not think people get that. This is not your only job, though, like how much effort you put into this channel in addition to having another job. Now, I think you would not correct me in saying that, like, I put, I mean, I don't know what factor or magnitude more effort (laughs) into the channel than you. But, like, I don't know. Just remember, just remember how hard we're working for you here. How many times Dan has to maybe cut corners on how many frogs or fish he can kill during the week in his experiments to get here. Uh, I'm, I promise I'm not cutting corners, especially if my boss is listening. <laughs> I was about to say, the only answer you're going to give is, I would never cut any corners, and I always put uh, the utmost work into what I do every day, sir. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, let us stop dilly-dallying then here and get into the opening corrections and omissions. Shredbird writes in, just like you can if you support us on Patreon. He says, hi, Tom. I know TI calculators are a gift from God himself, but I'll remind you that Texas Instruments makes chips for literally every segment of electronics and that fabbing is more than just bulk logic that requires the highest density. Wireless solutions, RF amplifiers, microcontrollers, power regulators, etc., are some segments to name a few. Saying TI is known for calculators is like saying Honeywell is known for the thermostats or Westinghouse for microwave ovens. So companies like TI are a crucial part of the chip shortages. They provide things crucial to literally every commercial segment. Now, you may already know everything I said, but the audience, I think, could benefit from having that kind of background articulated clearly. Their only interaction with TI may be the calculators, at least knowingly, I guess. Uh, That being said, you have any juicy TI calculator leaks? I'd love to hear them. And thanks for the content, as always. Now, I think this is in reference to a recent broken silicon where, if I remember correctly, Dan, you were the one who threw T.I. under the bus, like making fun of what node they're on, making things. I may have. I'm not saying it's not an important node. It's just not the 
you know, cutting edge of nodes at this point in time, you know, because not he's right. Not everything needs that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I actually did. This is why we have corrections and omissions. Um, I mean, I knew they made other stuff, but no, I've, I've never really thought about how many things they're still making to this day. And it is probably a good thing to make it clear that if there's a shortage in their products, it, it's a big problem for everything. And that just because they're using all, you know, just because they're using what we might think of in the gaming circles as outdated nodes does not mean they're making outdated products with them. Yeah, oh yeah, that's true. Ike's writes him and he says, great episode again with Daniel Nenny. That was the last one uh, we did before this one comes out just for everyone listening. He says, but l- please look closer at Elon Musk's past and how Tesla was started before singing their praises. Electrification of vehicles needs to happen, but Tesla is not the company that should be idolized because they have extremely good marketing. You know, I would say this always pops up anytime I like s- congratulate something Tesla successfully did. People are like, hey, whoa, 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 back up. They're not, you know, And then they, it's like, guys, I know Tesla isn't perfect. For sure, they're not. I mean, and and the way I think there's a lot to, to like when you really dig into it, Elon Musk is probably a kind of bad person. But uh, if you look at how, you know, Henry Ford never did anything bad, did he, Dan? No, Henry Ford was a great guy, right? He never supported any questionable rallies. Uh, In in Madison Square Garden in the the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm saying to people who are like, hey, Tesla isn't that great is you should look at the founding of Ford. (laughs) Most of these mega billionaires have some uh, questionable things about them, to say the least. Uh, I am not unaware that that he's imperfect. I just feel like it needs to be, guys, there's a new car company. No one thought that would ever happen. And it's one that's doing things in different ways. And as much as Musk rubs a lot of people the wrong way, and I get why he does, by the way, I still also kind of get why he's doing the things he does. And I can't help but just laugh of like, for instance, with what's going on with him in cryptocurrencies, where he's just like, let's just see if I can get people to buy Doge for fun. Yeah. Like, I, and that is my opinion of what he's doing. Messing with, isn't it Peter Thiel, who's a big Bitcoin backer and an old May, yeah, co-worker so. of it? Like it founded PayPal with him, if I'm remembering the name correctly. Guys, I think he like I think he he boosts Doge just to mess with Teal. Like well, and and, and there's a part of me that laughs at that because it kind of worked. And I think he just does that type of stuff for fun. Now you can say that's bad, but I don't know. Yeah. And I think we have also criticized Tesla and other neural I, I think I've even said on the podcast, like I think Neuralink is being hyped up a bit more than it is because based on what oh, I yeah. read, like it sounds like they got the wireless aspect down more better than most technologies. But like the te- the stuff they've shown off has existed and not like as like some experimental thing that's being developed. Like it's a te- tool that certain researchers have to use to do their research. So it's been around for a while. Neuralink? Some, something akin to Neuralink, like brain electronics interfaces. I just wanted you to say the word neural again, because if we actually move on to our first story, it actually also involves the word neural. Neural. (laughs) Excellent transition. Story number one, Intel adding neural engines to Meteor Lake, what it means for enthusiasts. And I have a write up here. Moore's Law Z just put a surprising leak. 
Intel plans to put Apple-like neural engines, or Intel calls them VPUs currently, in products by Lunar Lake and possibly even in Meteor Lake. These neural networks will be used for dynamic recognition of specific tasks that can be carried out in an efficient way that just couldn't be done before by basic app developers, at least not efficiently or without a ton of funding. Things like upscaling video on the fly, uh, currently advanced, what it would now be considered advanced speech-to-text functions that can just be done in-device. These can be now be made mainstream in all apps and more. And honestly, if you can't tell by my stuttering, this stuff is a bit above Tom's head at the moment, but Intel and Apple sources assure him that this will lead to big things. And neural networks will be used in many mainstream devices and apps by 2024, not just in Apple chips, but also in Intel. And then, of course, logically, you would assume AMD and NVIDIA chips. So I sent you an early draft of the video. Technically, it didn't go live before us recording this. I mean, what did you what did you think about what was in the video from at least the draft I sent you? Like you said, it's a bit above your head and it's a bit above mine. Like some of the stuff that it sounds like they they are attempting to do with neural networks sounds like, you know, stuff I wasn't aware you could even do, like quick identification of species or quick identification of language conversion without even need needing to reference a database, which to me sounds incredibly revolutionary if they could actually implement that. And if they could do, you know, what we have uh, like on the fly translation from one language to another, like Google Translate is relatively quick right now, but you know, there are a lot of issues with Google Translate. Like it doesn't do certain translations very well. Sometimes Mm. it takes a while. I think there's a pretty- You need to be connected to the cloud too. Like you can do text conversion with the downloaded app, but it's not as good when it's not hooked up to the cloud. And I do, like a really useful thing that I've used for some leaks recently is looking at something on a Chinese forum and taking a picture of it. If it's like, if it's it's a picture and some of the text Mm -hmm. is in Chinese, well, I can't copy and paste it into Google Translate. So I'll hold up my phone, take a picture, and then it'll use that picture of the words to convert it and show it on screen. You know, you can't do that unless you're connected to the cloud. So if your phone can do that in device without being connected to the cloud, that's actually kind of like a huge deal. Once again, that sounds kind of revolutionary to me. And if Intel and Apple can implement that in their products in the next four year, two to four years, that sounds like something that you could do with a neural network that I wasn't really aware you could even do up until now. So yeah, that would be revolutionary if you could if you could do Google Translate or something better than Google Translate even without having to use the cloud. That would be huge. Now, you saw an early draft of the video. The final draft, mm-hmm. that, or what I assume will be the final draft, assuming I don't do another one before this goes live, is like a 50% longer. And I talked to a couple of my sources back and forth like last night, a lot more to try to better understand like what this can be used for. So something that needed to be emphasized or that was emphasized to me is number one, you know, go watch the, well, it'll be in my video. So watch the video. I show the clips of when Apple talks about their neural engine, like just the small Mm -hmm. snippets. One of my sources said, yes, they emphasize mobile usages because they're a mobile-centric company. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that this won't be useful for desktop and laptops. Because that was the first question I had is, okay, so Intel's looking to add some sort of neural network as standard into a lot of their SOCs in a couple of years. I assume this will be more prevalent, more programmed for, you know, because again, and I point this out in the video, 
Like when it first came out in Apple chips, half of the discussions online is why are they wasting die space for this thing none of my apps use, which at first none of the apps did use it. But in a few years, a lot more will. People will be better used to using this for more, I don't know, mainstream tasks. Mm -hmm. And that there are other things you could do with desktop. The best example, and I think you saw this one or that I talked to you about that was given was like literally in device being able to like circle something by using the cursor on a mouse or a touch screen on a laptop. And then like, it just reads it back to you or clicking an article and it can read it back to you. There are a lot of websites, I believe like IGN and such that will have a, a version of an article that's audio only so you can listen to it, but they have to put an effort for that. Mm -hmm. Like you could conceivably have windows 11, just auto do that with anything on screen and do it in a way more effective way than they could before without being hooked up to the internet. That's new. Yeah, and depending on how competently it can do that, that would uh, that would really revolutionize, like, in some ways, our ability to read news because, like, developments mm. that come out of, like, China and Japan especially, the there's these translation issues that for yes. some reason, like, there's still this weird gap between, like, Western languages and Eastern languages where... <laughs> Like Japanese is if you like read a story that comes from a Japanese site, a lot of the time they're like, we think this is what it means. And yeah, you'll it, even see like Tom's hardware say, we think this is what it means. And half the time they're wrong. Yeah. So if you could do on the fly competent translation by like just, I don't know, circling a portion of your screen that has some even like an image of Japanese text or that and it could on the fly tell me what it's saying. That would be huge because at this point in time, whenever I read like an article from uh, a Chinese, Taiwanese or like Japanese website, the tr I, you can never 100 percent rely on like the translations you're getting because half the time, like the sentences are a little wonky and you're not really sure why they're wonky. If like the translation just doesn't quite make sense, which, you know, that's probably part of it is like some detail that is missing that really can't be uh ascertained with current uh, translation software. Now, another example I came up with talking to a couple of sources is you could, cons already you have upscaling abilities mm -hmm. built into graphics cards and you could conceivably make a graphics card do a lot of video upscaling per application. But you have to understand that they need to pretty much program it per application right now. If you have a neural engine that can identify a video and upscale it for you, you could be like scrolling Reddit and when an ad or just a YouTube video starts playing in a small box, it can sense right away, oh, this is something we can upscale from this little 360p to 1080p in this box. And not only that, we don't have to do it with this GPU that's going to use a ton of energy upscaling. Mm -hmm. What we can do is this neural engine that was idle, not wasting energy, boots up, converts it, and then boots down. That saves energy, and it does it more efficiently than a GPU can. And furthermore, you could conceivably come up, think of them using it for something like, oh, when you're on Netflix at night, turns out your apartment building's throttling your connection because yeah, everyone's <laughs> on Netflix. So what can we do? Oh, if you have an Intel laptop, that 1080p image actually looks closer to native 4K. That's an advantage the Intel laptop could have over an AMD one. Well, yeah, and, and you know, like you said, that would also just directly cut down on bandwidth. So, you know, sure. areas with, say, if this is on like uh, on a phone or something, if you're in a spotty uh, area of coverage of the phone, you could conceivably mm. like 
uh, load a video in 360p and maybe it would upscale effectively to like 720p or 4k and it wouldn't look terrible and it would load somewhat quickly even if you're on like which i never even see this anymore but <laughs> if you're on like some god-awful 3g <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know you could conceivably have this phone or laptop look at its battery life left like mm, when are they likely to charge again and go you know what we have this much bandwidth this much battery life left it would be better for us to use the battery instead of bandwidth or we're running out of we're getting close to our data cap mm -hmm. we're going to dynamically make the decision this executive decision for our viewer that they would rather use more battery right now than bandwidth and all of this stuff leads to less bandwidth overall being used less energy being used in a better image quality. And again, these are just the things I'm coming up with. A lot of sources emphasize to me, it's going to allow things we couldn't do yet. So that's why they're adding it. And a lot of this comes down to, do we really need to give you 10 cores or like 11 instead of 10? Like I know a lot of people are listening. Oh, they would never go to 11. I know, but yeah. <laughs> give, me, give me a break, guys. Do you Would you rather have 11 cores instead of 10 or 10 cores in a small neural engine? Because a lot of people said this takes very little die space to be very good at specific things. And in fact, I talked to an AI researcher tonight before we started recording who will hopefully be the next guest on Broken Silicon. So look forward to that. Who said, the analogy I came up with talking to him is, it's kind of like, Yes, a GPU can do a lot of this stuff, but it tends to use a lot of energy. So if you're packing a lunch, would you rather I keep making your fork bigger, the fork can do most things, or turn it into a spork, which sporks actually kind of suck and are inefficient, or would you rather I just give you a small spoon? That's really, look, the spoon can't be used for nearly as many things as a fork can, like a GPU and a neural engine. Neural engine can't do half the crap a GPU can. It's much more specific. But when you need a spoon, He's really good at eating yogurt <laughs> or something. Does that make sense? That's the analogy I came up with. And he's like, that is basically, he's like, yeah, that, that's exactly how it works. It's like, it's much more specific, but when you can use it, it at a specific type of calculation, which is becoming more prevalent now, it's way better, you know, than using a fork. Yeah. And, and from a, from a, the, that, that perspective, there's not really much I can add. All you can tell me is what the technology is promising and like yes. maybe come up with ideas for how that could be used if like it doesn't sound like a possibly p impressive piece of technology beyond that though you do need to have like that a ai researcher on i feel like to actually discuss the implications and like the actual get into the nitty-gritty of how it could possibly work so you know, other than like the implications, I'm excited to see <laughs> uh, how well they deliver on that promise, because like you said, it sounds like it's making po things possible that like we didn't really think were possible before. So it's kind of even hard to talk about how mm -hmm. how this might work until you actually see it in practice. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you're listening Support us on Patreon. Look out for those telegrams coming out where you can ask the guest questions after this Broken Silicon goes live. I tend to put out the telegrams after the latest Broken Silicon goes live, like a day later or something. So look out for that because that's when I'm really going to want a lot of reader mails. Um, Tick Dickler writes in and he says, at a time of inaccessible pricing where consoles are keeping up with the high end of graphical performance and Apple products are keeping up with the high end of compute performance, should the PC mass race accept the era of the closed hardware ecosystem? It's funny. This is something me and you have been talking about. I mean, the more I talk to some Apple insider info lately, 
because um, I've been digging into this more now that I know that Intel's doing this, frankly. <laughs> uh, Apple's working on some pretty crazy stuff. And if you think about it, like how efficient their stuff is, they can just do some pretty specific things because they only have a few chips to worry about supporting and a few hardware combinations. I And, and those things tend to have less bugs than Windows and Android. I, I don't know. I would say that everything's a tool, that a desktop and a laptop are, or should I say a Windows laptop or Windows desktop is a specific tool meant for specific tasks. A lot of that's gaming, but you've got to make sure it's the right tool for you. And I feel like a lot of people build desktops that really just wanted a console. And a lot and a lot of people get a console where maybe they should just have a desktop because they don't run any intensive games and they need to use it for more than just gaming. You know, I think a lot of people think they need one or the other or both and they really should be thinking about, would I be better off with a simpler closed ecosystem? I don't know. And, and the way I would put it is I think you can kind of think of like a desktop as a like a utility tool or a Swiss army knife. and if the Swiss army knife becomes more expensive than just buying sure. all the individual tools you want separately at a certain point, maybe it makes more sense to buy all of those tools separately. I don't think we're at that point yet where that's necessarily true for a large swath of people, but I think it's definitely true for some. And yeah, like PC hardware is getting crazy in terms of pricing and it's getting to a point where it's like, yeah, I could do a DIY build of a desktop that games in 4K 60, or I could get an Apple laptop and a PS5, and that would be cheaper and do everything I need. That That's a very good way to put it, is it's just the second you can get a laptop, a console, and like something else at the same time, you just start going, what? Because that's what <laughs> these companies do. Their goal is to make as much money as they can for a product they sell you. And so if they find out that people are just willing to pay the combined cost of several consoles and a laptop for a desktop, they will charge that money if you'll pay them. Yeah. And you can say, well, it's people using it for other tasks. Well, okay, but is that you? <laughs> Consider, you know, the separate tools then, you know, because some people are buying this Swiss Army knife for another task it can do that you might not be using it for. Yeah. Falto writes in, he says, Hey, Tom and Dan, looking at pricing for the new iPhones and iPads, it seems Apple has decided to not increase prices when they easily could have because manufacturing costs went up and add inflation. So why do you think Apple didn't do it? Knowing their history of overcharging, LOL. Yeah, I think the idea that Apple always overcharges, frankly, bullshit. They charge what they can charge to make money. And look what NVIDIA is doing. Look what AMD is doing. I mean, sometimes Apple charges way more than I think they should for some products. And it's because their fans buy it. And then other times, I think they charge a certain amount of money because eh, they're actually on the latest node and have a neural engine before everyone else. So, you know, that's when they do that. And, and I want to add on to this because my understanding is actually they this new iPhone, I mean, people are acting like it's just an updated version of the old one. It is on an early four nanometer process, according to Daniel Nenny. Now they're calling it like a five nanometer family or whatever they said in that press release. But you have to understand four nanometer is five nanometer family. They used early five nanometer for the iPhone and they got a five nanometer first. AMD is going to use a matured five nanometer N5P probably for RDNA3. They're using an early four nanometer that they're still calling five nanometer class. That's my understanding. 
And so it isn't like they're not using a better node this time. At the same time, though, they are not charging more because they probably don't think they can get away with it because it's probably not as big of an increase as it used to be. You know, so that's why they wouldn't do that. Yeah, but, you know, I will say from my perspective, if I feel like iPhones are looking like a better prospect for me if I need to get another phone at this point, because I don't know what Android has to offer in a lot of ways at this point. Like I was joking about this with you last time we were playing games, but it's like, yeah, the iPhone isn't upping its price. So I'm looking at it right now. It's, I think, $800, which sounds... I think there's a $1,200 version, but I guess I don't know for sure. If you uh, want to get the... 512 gigabyte model is a thousand dollars i believe or you can get the galaxy flip z3 for uh also a thousand dollars so you can get that cool crease in your phone that because uh you want to close it for some reason just feels like a, a lot of what android is doing right now from my perspective is adding in features that nobody needs that don't quite work yet and i think i would rather get Apple, something proven if I, if I need to get a new phone right now yeah. which is sacrilegious to be clear we are no apple fanboys i don't own any apple products yeah i don't, I don't own any apple products i have owned a, a macbook air that i put windows on <laughs> <laughs> and i liked it a lot i got a great deal on it um i will still say i hate mac os <laughs> like it's yeah I, I i'm not a big fan of that either as much as i give windows shit but at the very least it doesn't seem to have as many bugs so yeah i don't know i mean Look, they're not charging more because, you know, the other reason they're probably not charging more for this new family is people are looking at data and people aren't upgrading as often their phones now. And a lot of companies are talking about this. They're like, and what was it? The new Sony phones like $1,300 too. a lot of these newer phones are over a thousand dollars that are on Android. And Apple's probably looked around and said, yeah, data suggests they're done with the prices going up. So we're not going to raise them. Yeah, it's getting to a point where it's, it's getting hard to justify the prices of some phones or it's like, Really? You're going to charge like $1,400 for a phone that you mm-hmm. want me to upgrade again in a year and a half? That's a little bit much, in my opinion. Amiable Chief writes him. He says, Tom, would you say that a good reason to buy Apple products is because they overcharge for unproven bleeding edge TSMC nodes that the rest of the industry can then reap benefits from? By extension, aren't those of us who buy Apple products, in fact, doing their bit to move the industry forward? <laughs> oh, I wouldn't give yourself that much credit. There's usually other stuff, too. It, it, Apple wouldn't use it if it wasn't working, is what I would say. They, yeah. it's, I think it's less that they're using an unproven node and more they're paying the most for the newest. Yeah. And th- don't pat yourself on the back for supporting Apple. Let's calm down here, people. You, Maybe no, we're saying too many good things. You're, you're basically a hero, Tom, if you buy Apple products. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying, Amiable Chief, is don't, don't give Apple any bigger of a head. Because they have a big head right now. Like when I hear Tim Cook talk, he's just like, iPad is the best tablet, undoubtedly. He just walks on stage and it's like, there's nothing better than a new iPad, isn't there, people? It's just, it's like Jensen Wang on steroids. <laughs> the uh, Tom, the new iPad has cured world hunger. We figured it out. I mean... They'll say it. Wait for it. <laughs> if, they'll be like, they'll tell you how it is. If it gets 30 more people to buy it, sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Let, let's just be honest. People buying it for the most part, people already own the old ones. So come on. Yeah. No, they're not buying it for that, but they'll tell themselves that's why they're buying it, I'm sure. All right. Let us move on then to story number two. 
Intel Arc desktop segmentation, reference cooler hints, performance, and AIB support leaks. Big XE is becoming real. And here's the write-up. Moore's Law Z has been teasing putting out an updated Intel Alchemist leak for over a month now. And on September 24th, it finally dropped. The video was really a summary of how XE leaks and public sentiment compared to RDNA 2. And also a look at what we can expect right now. In summary, all input from sources suggests that a 512, 384, and 128 execution unit set of models will be the first set of SKUs to be launched on desktop, with them being around 3070, 3060, and 1650 super performance respectively. This is backed up by specs analysis of these models. If you look at it, the 512 execution unit DG2, a 396 millimeter square die, is 20% bigger than the 6700 XT. All will be on a 6 nanometer node instead of the 6700 XT's 7 nanometer node. So you would assume it should be at least as strong then, even if they're like 30% worse at designing chips, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the same goes for the 3070, which is about the same die size while being on Samsung 8 nanometer instead of TSMC 6 nanometer. Way worse node. So it doesn't matter how you dice it. At the end of the day, Intel's kind of done the bare minimum, making what the others have made with better technology a year late or more than a year late, really. Uh, that's not that tall of an order. So it's not crazy to suggest like what everything seems to be spelling out, that their cards will be a more efficient and a more aggressively priced version of GA-104. The look of the reference models also leaked a bit, looking very similar to what Moore's Law's dead leaked for the 512 execution model, you know, that black engineering sample, mm -hmm. except that it'll be like a silver, kind of more Radeon 7-looking version, and that the 128 execution model looks a lot like DG1, and in quotes, without all the ridges all over it. A firm release date for the entire lineup isn't ready. There will be launches in quarter one, though, but the drivers are still far from finished, but improving rapidly based on recent talks I actually had today. So the drivers are getting better, but they're still just not ready enough to confirm more than we have a few benchmarks where it's as good as a 3070 Ti. And then we just have, literally, they can't run these DX12 games. Like that's really all we can say <laughs> at this point. So it's hard to say exactly where it will land. So in summary, DG2 is, is so far what Moore's Laws that has been leaking for a year, but it isn't quite time to 100% confirm exact performance prices or launch dates like Moore's Laws Dead did a year ago with RDNA 2 at this time last year. But at the same time, RDNA 2 launched quarter four. This is launching quarter one, so give it a quarter. I bet we'll have the full leak. All evidence suggests aggressive pricing efficiency and barely high-end cards launching early 2022. Oh, and Momo on Twitter leaked the naming scheme. It seems like they will go with an A series naming, so like A700, A500, A400, and that video cards finally confirmed MSI, Asus, and Gigabyte are working on non-reference models, which, yep, I was told MSI was one of their lead vendors for a while, so mm -hmm. I can back up what he's saying there as well. Yeah, the only other thing I would add to this is kind of comparing it to RDNA 2 leaks. It's funny, if you just go back to the original desktop, like, XE, like, info drop and slides from late 2018, Intel says they're going to release an enthusiast card like end 2020 or something. It looks like it'll be a year late. Or year and a really half almost late. a year and a half. Yeah. Well... It depends how you look at it. But I would say a year and a half isn't unfair based on what they were saying behind the scenes. And that otherwise, just look at the original like RDNA 2 public info. They said it was Navi 2X. 
and hot chips. They said they called it Navi 2X because it was doubling performance. It was not a coincidence, which by the way, I want to point this out too. I noticed this recently. That slide at the uh, AMD analyst, financial analyst day in May of 2020, where they, you know, say Navi 2X, Navi 3X. Mm-hmm. I've seen people say that's just them saying Navi 21, 22, 23. Then why is the X after the two like in the middle of the behind the two in a uppercase X? If it was Navi 2X, it would be just like lowercase X, right? 2X as if it's denoting Hell filling yeah. in a blank. I guess. Guys, probably. they meant 2X. <laughs> Guys, they meant 2X, okay? They did. And they wouldn't have portrayed it that way unless they meant it that way. Um, and again, that just lines up with the Intel saying they want to launch enthusiast cards in 2020, except they're late and we'll see if they, well, it'll and, be mid-range by the time it comes out though. But I've talked long enough. What did, what did you think of all of these leaks? Not just my own, but others coming out in the past two weeks. I mean, I think the, uh, one of the funnier ones is the, the, uh, Momo leak on the, a, the like a naming scheme where it's like super obvious now looking at it because it's A B C D with Battle Made Celestial. Oh Juke. shoot! You're right. <laughs> it's A B C D, so they can just go A seven hundred, then probably A eight hundred for their top end model with Battle Mage, where I believe they're going to try to compete. No, with I, enthusiast. I, or B when Battle Mage comes out, it might just be B whatever. Uh, uh, I'm I'm at B eight hundred. Yeah. yeah. So I. I I mean, for one, I would say I'm kind of glad they're not going with a similar numbering scheme to NVIDIA and AMD, because if there were three of those circulating around and maybe this was part of their calculus, it would be like this would be too confusing to the consumer to have so many different, very, very similar uh, in some ways naming schemes. And, you know, with the performance leaks, I feel like once again, this is roughly in line with what we've been saying for a long time i think it's gotten a little narrower to where like six months ago i was thinking it would be somewhere between like a i don't know 30 60 to 30 80 which is a pretty wide gulf but sure. now we're at to what 30 60 ti 30 70 ti le- performance so it's a little narrower but i think that our, our speculation and what we've been thinking about based on leaks for the past year is largely this just more reconfirms what we've been talking about. Um, And, you know, I'm not sure what else to add. Those are like my top line thoughts about all of these leaks. But Uh, one thing I would highlight too is really my first big XE leak was October last year. And I looked at, I think it was late October. uh, And I looked at it and I'm like, oh God, you could have just watched this and probably skipped (laughs) almost everything if you trusted me. I said between a 30, you know, above a 3070, I said six nanometer node. I said upscaling and DLS. Like I said, it's like all the, for some reason, people didn't watch that video as much as like the other ones. But it is just funny to realize like, oh yeah, since October last year, nothing's really changed except behind the scenes the engineers working on it are more confident, which is 100% worth emphasizing. People within Intel weren't sure this would really pan out a year ago, and now they seem pretty confident. Well, and it does also have to be emphasized, like, I could see why late last year some people might have been seen like, oh, sure, another Intel GPU thing, like that, that's been a quote-unquote rumor for, once again, I feel like that's been a thing people have been talking about since before you even had a channel, (laughs) or... In the very, very embryonic days of your of Moore's Law's dead, at least. And mm-hmm. 
Up until- I had videos in 2019 about it, but I didn't really have that much exclusive information besides saying they were trying to get tiles to work. Yeah, and like up until I feel like late last year, early this year is when Intel's uh, putting out a graphics card, fee- I mean, a graphics card line for desktop really started to feel like a thing that would materialize. Mm. And, you know, now that Intel has finally said that they're doing it as of like, what well, when did they say that? Like a month and a half ago, something like that, probably. And now, oh, there's a ton of interest in it because the people that are the people that aren't into the like, quote unquote, rumor speculation leak space, they're like, oh, this is a thing I can pay attention to now. So I think that might just be what's driving interest is now to, there's a new group of people that think it, that see that it's real. Yep. And I mean, the only other thing I can really add is more is coming guys, like a lot more. Um, I'm trying to find a way to get pictures because I don't know if you guys can guess this. That's hard to get and dangerous for anyone to provide. But I think I've got a roundabout way of showing you guys what the cards look like without exposing anything. So that's coming. And, you know, if you think about my RDNA 2 Big Navi leak, which basically did the entire lineup, release dates, and pricing. Of course, some of the pricing didn't turn out to be correct now that (laughs) Right, they guys. Uh, seriously, the sixty seven hundred XT was going to be like four hundred, and then then they just nope. <laughs> <laughs> like I, that, the sixty six hundred XT was going to be a three hundred dollar card when they were first planning the lineup, um, but not anymore. Um, and that type of a leak, though, where I literally, like, where I really have like four slides of details. I think we're like, you know, a quarter before when I could do that. But I think I provided enough that you basically know what to expect for the lineup. And um, yeah, I mean, it's two dies, one big one that's just barely high end for when it comes out, a cut down one that's mid range from that top die. And then honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they launched that tiny 128 execution unit version first, like Mm -hmm. and just kind of flood that into laptops in the low end market. Because really, that's the one that you got to get out because you have no competition there right now. Get it out before the 3050 Ti launches for sure. Yeah, well, yeah, if they could get that out before really any low-end cards from AMD or NVIDIA come out, they would, I think at least, they would do really well. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe the PC space has just changed too. There's only interest in mid-range or higher, but I feel like there's I definitely so. still space in the market for a tiny 75-watt, uh, like, 1080p card because most people are still playing on 1080p anyways. Which I guess that's worth uh, clarifying. When I say a 1650 Super, keep in mind the the 1650 was a 70-ish watt card from NVIDIA, you know, that Turing without Tensor Cores version that was about it. I think it was slightly weaker than an RX 570, mm-hmm. but it used half the energy as an RX 570. That was the idea of that card. Then they launched a 1650 Super, which only has four gigabytes of RAM like the 1650. But in reality, it was about 30 or 40% stronger. So I don't think the 128 execution unit model is going to be as strong as a 1650 Super, which is like 10% weaker than a 590. Or or yeah, because like one was weaker than a 570. One was as strong as about a 590 or stronger. Yeah, that's quite a huge gulf in performance there. I think what you're going to see is something in between those performance levels, but it does ray tracing better than RDNA 2 or something. And it uses as much energy as the 1650, not the the 100-watt 1650 Super. And uh, yeah, you know, and let me say this, 
Intel's got a lot of stocks and uh, like component stocks built up for this launch. And TSMC's wafer capacity is not the bottleneck right now. So I know people are like, well, it's going to be made on TSMC. This is going to, no, 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 no. This, I think they could provide a lot of cards. Like I'm talking like more than like the Ampere, the first, yeah, more than all Ampere cards shipped in 2020 in the first quarter of launch. I think they could ship from what I'm seeing from components shipments and Intel's supply chain. they've, They've got a lot more nailed down for this launch than what Ampere had around its launch or even when it really launched, which was, let's be honest, November of that year, not (laughs) September. Yeah. And, you know, uh, new cards being manufactured on a different node than what AMD and uh, NVIDIA are both doing can really can only help availability of cards overall. So (laughs) I think it's a little bit cynical to just say, well, there's never going to be availability for anything. Nothing can help availability. Where it's like, well, if you look at the facts of the situation like this, uh, objectively will help availability, even if it still might be hard to buy a card. And listen, guys, I've been told that there are companies buying up two to four times what they need and that they're all trying to outbid each other to have a safety stock because they were so shell-shocked by the shortages. Mm -hmm. Daniel Nenny said the same thing. Listen to the last broken silicon. Now, he seems to be hedging his bets at this point, my perspective of how his opinion sounded, because he thought the shortage would be over by 2021, and it's clearly not. And so he's just like, I don't know, 2023. But when you have everybody buying two to four times what they need at the same time, I mean, it sounds to me like don't count out a crash next year. Just don't. Don't count it out. Yeah. It's coming. And now I feel confident it is going to be a crash. Not right away. Not not right now. Like some YouTubers were saying, oh, it's going to crash next month. And not exactly, huh, guys? It's going to be a slow decrease in prices up and down with some weeks still being more expensive than the previous week until we get to mid-2022. And then that's when all bets are off. We'll see. That crash could come sooner because everyone's acting like it's going to go on forever. If everyone's acting like it's going to go on forever and buying up four times what they need, it's actually probably going to crash sooner. Yeah. QH Freddy writes in, what would pricing have to be like for you to consider something like an RTX A4000 or A5000 or other workstation GPU in a gaming build? In your own PC, I'm considering buying an RTX A4000 for both professional and gaming use. Which drivers did you test the A6000 on? Which gaming features were available in the drivers? So... All you need to do for A6000 or A5 or A4000, I would assume, or A2000, I would assume, is you just download the drivers it's meant to use, the professional drivers, and then you can just download GeForce Experience separately and it works with it. That's it. You have all the features. Like, (laughs) there's nothing wrong. It it works fine for gaming uses. Um, And you can even download MSI Afterburner and it works. Now, most of it's locked out in Afterburner, but you can still do some overclocking, like give it a five, 10% boost. And in terms of what these would have to cost, yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm pretty confident I'm just going to stick with a 3070 unless someone can send me an A4000 to test and it blows me away. Um, An A4000, see, it's complicated because I think you can see them segmenting just memory size right here. Think about it, right? The A5000 is 24 gigabytes of RAM. It costs a little more than a 3090. The A4000 has 16 gigs of RAM it costs the same uh, between a 3080 Ti and a 3080. It's because they know not to price it below a 3080 because that's all anyone would buy then. Yeah. So, it, yeah, I don't know. What would it have to cost? Well, 
again, we're assuming MSRP because we have to for this conversation. I know here come the comments. Well, I can even talk about that when I have to pay 10 grand in my country. I don't know, dude. We're going to assume MSRP so we can talk. Let's just be adults for a second. If the 3070 was $500 and the 3080 was, see, it's hard for me to do this though, because even then I'm like, 3080 was never what they said it was. And, and the 3080 was 700. And 84,000, if it, and I don't feel like there's enough good testing about around it, so I still kind of want to do a review if I can. If it was just below 3070 Ti in performance, I'd pay a little more than a 3070 Ti. I'd lose 10% performance or 5% performance to double my memory and half the power usage. So if it was like 700 bucks, I'd buy it. If the A5000, which based on what I can tell is around a 3080 in performance, maybe slightly weaker, but again, uses a lot less energy and has more RAM. If that was a grand, uh, uh, frankly, if that was, yeah, I mean, yeah, if that was like the same price, yeah, as that was a grand, that's when I get the A5000 easily. And I even considered it for much more than that. Does that make sense, Dan? It's like, yeah, I'll take a small haircut in performance for more RAM and less power usage. And I'll even pay more, but I'm not going to go like two tiers higher. I'm not going to pay 1500 for an A4000. I'm not, or I'm probably not going to pay a thousand for an A4000. But I would go a tier above. I would pay maybe 800, 700. Yeah, I mean, and that's because I think you're at like the edge of where it would make sense for someone to maybe buy it. And, you know, I'm completely off the cliff of, or I'm completely far away from that cliff of ever considering buying it. So for me, it would be, I I wouldn't buy an A4000 or A5000 because it just wouldn't make sense to, unless they were at a, somewhat reasonable price performance tier. It's like, uh, maybe a little more, I guess, than what their uh, gaming counterparts, but still, there's just no reason. Right, I'm on the borderline, and I'm going to assume QH Frenny is kind of at the same yeah. borderline where it's like, no, 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 he would like the more stable drivers, the more RAM, the more, you know, the professional apps, but at the same, or should I say the better programming for some professional apps, but at the same time, it's still probably mostly for gaming, and that's where you go, well, I'd pay a little more than the tier above it. Mm-hmm. So I'd pay 800 for an A4000. I probably wouldn't pay 1000 unless I can prove its performance, which I still don't think the reviews out there are really good enough. But um, all right, let us move on then to story number three. Early RDNA 4 performance targets leak. Here's the write-up. On September 16th, Moore's Law said, didn't just reconfirm RDNA 3 info, they leaked early RDNA 4 info. In summary, the target of roughly doubling RDNA 2 performance with RDNA 3 remains the current target, not 3x and not less than 60%, roughly doubling RDNA 2. Furthermore, RDNA 4 is currently targeting a greater than 50% boost over RDNA 3 at the very end of 2023 or early 2024. In other words, is the boost expected to be as big as RDNA 3? No, but it's not going to be a 40% boost or something. All of this will likely come with a 10 to 100% price increase per tier by 2025, depending on the tier. In other words, I think the top tier will double in performance. I think the bottom tier is like your 6600 XT to like 8700 XT. I think, yeah, I think they'll just try to make that like 10% more at first and then maybe 50% more. Uh, in said leak, Tom put in perspective what it means if we quadruple performance from now by 2024, we'll doubling price. It did not aim to justify these price increases so much as explain why the market might accept this situation. If you quadruple performance but double price, well, that would probably mean you could get a 4K120 card for $400. 
Will anyone complain about paying that much for a 4K 120 card? If a top card is $2,500, but it does 4K 240 or 4K 300 or 8K 60 or 8K 100, you know, somewhere in there, will people not feel they have insane levels of performance and justify insane prices? I mean, you already have people paying $2,500 for a Titan, guys. What if it actually feels like a Titan? The wild card to price increases, though, is still, of course, if Intel can successfully beat a 3070 Ti in 2022 for 450 or if Lovelace can manage to keep costs down while roughly competing in the top end in 2022, right? Because I do expect Lovelace to be a little weaker. Those are big ifs, but neither are impossible. The only other thing I'll add here is I noticed all of a sudden WCCF tech, oh, and all of a sudden saying 60 to 80% after my latest leak again. And I saw a bunch of Twitter leakers all of a sudden saying, oh no, maybe Lovelace is only 80% better, not double or triple which is what I said like four months ago, guys. I don't know. They're a little frustrating to me. Some of these usual shit tubers, I'm going to start calling them, that just throw out RDNA 3 quadruples performance. And then, no, it doesn't. It's, it's strong, but it doesn't do that. Once again, I mean, the only reason we saw the, the, the big reason we saw the doubling in performance with RDNA 2 is because they were at least an enthusiast tier graphics card this time around when the last generation they released a <laughs> mid-tier, uh, mid-range card. And, you know, now that they're at the enthusiast level of performance, they're going to uh, probably uh, get back to a point where they're, what, 60, 60 on an average year, 80% on a good year uh, increase in performance each year. Uh, it's a, and it's about every year and a half. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's year and a half to two years at this point, really. Right. If you think about when RDNA 3 is coming out, so probably quarter three, 2022 from the sounds of it, that's about two years, maybe a hair under two years after RDNA 2 came out. And then from what I'm hearing, RDNA 4 will be like 14 months later or something. So, you know, more like a Zen 2 to Zen 3 situation, not an RDNA, you know, 2 to 3 situation. So it's roughly every year and a half, you get something that's a lot stronger. Um, And yeah, I, I, I don't know. None of it sounds crazy to me. Basically, RDNA 3 is doing it by adding chiplets and RDNA 4 is going to use better nodes and an updated architecture. And maybe more chiplets, as I said in the video as well. But I'm not willing to confirm what I believe the design will be. The reason I'm not, and this is something I emphasize in the video as well that I'm glad I'm remembering to touch on now, is that I would just want everyone to know the design goals for RDNA 3 was tripling RDNA 1 performance. They called it 3X for a reason. But they didn't know, you know, how good Infinity Cache would turn out. They didn't know if they'd get what's required to put Vcache on Zen 3 working by then. If all things, you know, if they had to stay monolithic, if they didn't have as the best cash, they thought they'd still make something 50% better. I mean, I'll just say it now, I'll divulge it. One version of one I heard of was, it kind of sounded like it was a, I think it was a 384-bit, 96-compute unit RDNA 3 design that was monolithic. And they're like, that'll be 50% better than RDNA 2 or something. Like, and that'll be on 5 nanometer, which, yeah, I mean, 50% more bandwidth. And, you know, what is that then? 25% more compute units, but then an IPC increase and a better node for higher clocks. Yeah, that'd probably be 50% better. But if they can get the chiplets fork of the architecture working, oh, and we can double. 
you know? So that's why these things are not nailed down until about a year before they come out. And we're just about at a year before RDNA 3 comes out. So it's just, guys, it's just getting nailed down now. And RDNA 4's design isn't locked down. That's where the giant variance of like 50 to 100% still is. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like when you look at, uh, I, I guess I'll just use like the like 538 election tracker as you get closer to <laughs> like it, when you're a year and a half out from an election. If you look at it, there's this incredibly wide variance in like what they expect the outcome to be. And then when you get closer, your model or your projection gets closer to accurate. Anyone claiming to nail down accurate performance three years out, just like if you were looking at some elections tracker analyst that says, I can tell you this candidate is going to get 54% of the vote it, uh, six months before the election. They're probably, or a year before the election, they're probably not right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, if you want an accurate picture from what we know right now, there's going to be a huge degree of variance between what RDNA4 the the top end and the bottom end prediction of what it could be. And yeah, a huge factor in that is the fact that they're going to be moving to MCM at a certain point. And until they, we know that's going to be implemented, that is a gigantic what if on future architectures until we know the architecture is actually going to be properly implemented. In. Well, you know, and this is just reminding me now of Zen 3's early days and like early 2019 rumors around Zen 3. I remember there were prototypes and leaks coming out that Zen 3 might be 3D stacked mm -hmm. and might have SMT4. Now, it didn't get SMT4, and at first it didn't get 3D stacked, but now, you know, Zen 3D is a thing. Like, they didn't know if they'd have Vcash working on Zen 3 by its launch in 2020, but they wanted it to. And that's where the performance claims were all over the place. Same with SMT4. They just don't think it's time for SMT4, but they tested it. You know, it's funny to look back at some of these other rumors and realize, oh no, not all of those leaks were bullshit. They just didn't pan out. That's what you have to assume. If you're following people that leak stuff with a reputable track record, if they get some things wrong, that once again doesn't necessarily mean like the leak they had was bullshit or something or they're making something up. It means that the company changed course or not even the company necessarily changed course. This was just a thing that they caught wind of that didn't come to fruition, which if you work in any type of like development field, you know how many designs like or, or projects are thrown out as an idea, tested and fail, and then they just move on to the next thing. And no one outside of the company and like people that are in the leaker space talk about it because, you know, it's a thing that didn't come to fruition. And, you know, people that are tracking these leaks, it should be because like you're interested in the technology and the space, not because you necessarily think that every single technology that's discussed is going to come out exactly when it, the company wants it to come out. Yeah. And I would say two things, well, maybe three things to that. Mm -hmm. uh, the first is I feel like I'm getting better at knowing when to double down on things and when it's too early to way better. Even my sources are, even my sources are like, <laughs> you know what? I wouldn't double down on this yet. Cause we've seen what happened before, you know? And you would think some other tech tubers would, but this leads me to another thing. I, I I am nervous to emphasize the point you made, not because it isn't true. It is true. But because 
that's an excuse used by some complete bullshit tubers constantly to say, oh, they canceled Zen 3 Plus. No, they didn't. I know the people at AMD, they did not just cancel Zen 3 Plus. Zen 3 Plus was canceled a year ago for desktop. And I think- You made it up. <laughs> and I think phrasing it in that way can veer from being, having an honest discussion to getting to uh, misrepresenting or dishonest where you say they canceled it. From my perspective, if we're talking about something from a consumer perspective, if a thing that wasn't announced doesn't get released, it wasn't canceled. It was an internal project that failed. It didn't cancel. They just didn't release it and they didn't tell anyone about it, that nothing was canceled, quote unquote. Yeah. And again, let me plug it again. The Broken Silicon that just came out with Daniel Nenny. I think in the last third of it, we talk about this. There was a reader mail like, how do these leaks happen because, and the person was like, you know, his Alder Lake leak from two years ago turns out, correct, 20% IPC over Willow Cove, which wasn't even out yet when that leak came out. How do you know what the IPC is going to be ahead of time? And Daniel like kind of explains like, well, they have ways of simulating the performance of an overall architecture. And then as they get closer to being able to build it, what they'll do is use like an early let's say for RDNA 3, five nanometer wafer, and then they'll just make make one part of the architecture on mm -hmm. that wafer. And they'll just like, see, did the electrons move how we thought they would? They did. Oh, we think this IPC increase will hold true. Oh, it won't. We need to go with this other design. And that's, oh, it just happens. You know, there's the conceptual design phase about three to four years before it comes out. You know, five years out is like pathfinding. Four to three out is like the overall design. Two years is locking in what you can do. One year is locking in the design and moving towards validation. That's how this works. And it is interesting to think of well, yeah, like this far out, there's a lot of wild things that could emerge about like what's in, for example, Meteor Lake and why I'm just not doing a lineup. I'm like, could be a lot of things. We're getting close enough where I could do one probably in half a year. But and things like Lunar and Nova Lake, that Lunar Lake Lake, I'm like, guys, the stuff on the table they're considering is like the kitchen sink of crazy features. They're not done. I would say with this type of stuff, it's, it's a, a difficult balance of what you should talk about to an extent because... Uh, to some extent, like when you're three to four years out with this like pathfinding stuff, uh, it's almost not even worth talking about some of that stuff in a lot of ways, because all you're really doing is setting yourself up to like, quote unquote, get a bunch of stuff wrong because, you know, a bunch of that pathfinding is going to, you know, lead to a bunch of dead ends because they're finding paths <laughs> and the other important thing I think to emphasize, like you talking about with uh, your conversation with Daniel Nenny, like, oh, they test this thing. Do the electrons move in the way we think they do? It's important to remember that like processors and all of this are physical things that exist in the world. And they actually are. They're actually like physically doing, phys doing something. They're actually like doing things and obeying the laws of physics. <laughs> and it's not as simple as just saying they can 2x something. Because, you know, what if they theoretically yeah. think they can? And then when they put that in practice or when they actually print it on a wafer, oh, it doesn't do what we thought it, uh, it what we thought it would. And yeah, they're at the cutting edge of physics. They're getting in quantum yeah. mechanics now with how small the, the uh, transistors are getting. Yeah. And like a lot of this is a like above my head because you know this isn't the mm -hmm. area i've decided to specialize in but like i can understand that these are things you have to i can understand that i think it's important to note that like these are things that physically exist that are obeying laws of physics these are 
now at the point where they're getting into quantum <laughs> physics realms with how small the transistors are. I think and now I want to move on to talking about like putting the price in perspective. Because yeah. that for me was really the thing that teed me off to making this RDNA 4 leak come out is I didn't just have a couple snippets of info. I was like, you know, I think something we need to talk about is actually quantifiably putting an estimate of how things may perform in cost and then talk about why it sucks, but maybe not as much as you think and why, and just like what this would actually look like. Cause I think you hear people say things like, oh, the, you know, whatever RDNA three 7,900 XT. I call it the 7,950 XT because mm-hmm. I believe if AMD takes the performance crown by 20%, they will add a 50 to it and make it more expensive than the 6,900 XT. I believe that is their plan. Um, and that comes from talking to people at AMD who are like, no, literally $2,000 popped up on PowerPoints. Like we're, we're considering $2,000, <laughs> which I do need to throw out. There's again, another tech tuber that's been like WCCF tech is like putting his, his speculation for pricing next to my chart as if it's a comparison. Guys, my info comes from people at AMD saying they're considering charging 2000, not me just pulling $3,000 for top Lovelace out of my ass, which is not going to fucking cost by the way. So I just want to throw that out there. That really pisses me off that I saw that. But, um, what did you, I did send you a chart here of my, you know, a stab at what it could look like. And this is not me. And I say this constantly in this part of the video. This is not me saying, I'm sure this is what it will cost. We have way too many variables until then. For all we know, Lovelace could match them or something in performance. For all we know, Intel XE could cost less and perform better than they expected. And then they have to not raise prices as much. Like, like, where do I even start? I just put the entire like left column, which again, guys, links in the description of, you know, I kept it in 4K relative performance because I, I almost put 8K and 1440p on here, but then I'm like, now let's just make it like a linear increase so it's less guesswork and what the performance difference will be. And let's just say like right now it's $1,500. I know MSRP isn't real, but whatever. $1,500 for a 3090, and that can do about 4K 120, especially if you consider DLSS. You know, if in the next year, the 7700 XT, the thing that kind of replaces the 6700 XT is $600, not 480, 600, but it performs as well or better than a 3090. Is that not progress? I would say it's, it's progress, but there is definitely stagnation to an extent where at least there's stagnation from the, um, perspective of i would i think maybe i would just go out and say useful performance if that makes sense or it's like you have that uh in in your chart that 4k gold standard which i completely agree with 4k gold 4k 120 120 will be the standard is gold is the gold standard and i think we've touched this before where I don't know how many gamers want to go above want to or will need to even go above 4k and I think as far as frame rate goes, like 240 hertz maybe is where most people will even care to get to. Like 120, 120 honestly might be that point. And if it, like 240 hertz is, I don't know, 10% more, they'll be like, fuck it. I guess I'll get 240 hertz as well. So I think 4K yeah. 120 as a quote unquote new gold standard, like, I don't know. The new, the, the the new, new 1080p 60. Yeah. Yeah. If you can deliver 4K 120 hertz next year or for, what is it, $700 or $600, 600 
yeah, that's progress. I mean, if you're looking at the lower tiers like 4K60, you're kind of seeing the price stagnate a little bit now, but you know, it's still getting slightly better each year. And I think if uh, GPUs can consistently come out and offer better 4K 120 perform, I mean 4K performance at a slightly lower price tier than what it was in previous years, I think most people are fine if they're willing to give up on the idea that they're quote unquote enthusiast tier graphics card owners, because at a certain point, I think that's what people are getting hung up on is they mm-hmm. don't want to be a, a peasant mid tier gamer when it's like, does it fucking matter? Because you're drag racing your card. If you have a 4k 120 Hertz monitor and you can game at 8k 240 Hertz. And I'm, I know I'm throwing a huge performance tier out there but like you're not getting anything extra out of the card if you're stopping at 4k 120 but your card can do 4k 240 if if you're not mo- now we're talking about your monitor limiting you know what you can get out of your graphics card so why do you need to have this better level of performance that you get nothing out of and you know another analogy i think i'll make and it's something again me and daniel and any talk on t- touch on is like acceleration 0 to 60 times in cars any car from the past 10 years is pretty much faster than almost any sports car from the 50s or 60s yeah and that's because cars kept getting lighter and we just got better at making them faster and for a while a lot of people i would would probably say well they didn't need to be it's like i disagree actually like some of those old cars Getting up to speed on the highway is scary when you're getting on an on-ramp because it just takes so long. But like the second you're getting zero to 60 times, I mean, for most people, frankly, above eight seconds, it's fine. I would say going even to around six or higher, you're fast enough. And at a certain point, it's like, do you really want a zero to 60 time above two seconds? It's kind of getting dangerous. You know, it's, it's, that's where the analogy falls apart compared to cards, but it's not that different. It's like we made cards cars fast enough. I know people will care anymore at a certain point when all low-end electric vehicles can go faster than a Corvette from 20 years ago because it's an electric motor. It just can, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, I, I think that's the, the the key thing is just thinking about how I think even right now the current-gen consoles are stronger than what most people want. I mean, Sammy Good writes in. He says, the table you showed in your RDNA 4 leak video puts a lot of things in perspective on price performance. Seeing 4K 120 as a new gold standard for $400 is astonishing when you think about how far things have come over the years. Despite that, I feel like resolution is becoming less and less of a significant stat. Do you think GPUs will slow down op- resolution upgrades to opt for more ray tracing effects and realistic geometry meshes while maintaining thoroughly established resolutions at high frame rates? How would that change performance comparisons for typical users? And my answer to him was, so the Death Stranding Director's Cut just came out. I got it originally because I didn't get it at launch. I got like a month after launch for PS4 because it was only on PS4. And I, I think we talked about this. The original version was like, you know, I think it was checkerboarded 4K at 30 frames on the PS4 Pro or something. You know, to go to the director's cut on PS5, it's 10 bucks and it gives you all the DLC. So I was just like, it's 10 bucks to <laughs> just put my disc in and get all the new DLC in the deluxe edition of the PS5 version. Sure, I'll just keep it on PlayStation, I guess, instead of buying it on PC. $10 to do that. I was looking at the intro sequence. It looks almost photorealistic. 4K one, yeah. you know, 4K 60. It's insane. It looks insane. And it's 
this is on a console. I just can't imagine people needing better graphics than this as standard. Most people are going to be happy. And so when it comes to like slowing down resolution upgrades and stuff, no, I don't think so until RDNA 5, really. I I just think people are going to be like, again, if you look at my chart, I think, yeah, I think a $400, 7,600 XT is stronger than the consoles right now. Of course, by then we may have, nah, we won't have a new consoles coming out by then. Um, Not even the pros, I don't think. But, you know, by RDNA 4, you will. And I don't know, just looking at this, yeah, if a three fifty dollar card like the seventy five hundred XT, for example, gives you a four K sixty, gives you performance that's in the current consoles, I just don't think anyone needs much more than that. Now, will yeah. they just focus on ray tracing? I, I thought Ampere was going to double down on in, on ray tracing much more than it did. If you're being honest, Ampere barely increased ray tracing performance relative to rasterization performance any better, and it really only did because it's underutilizing the CUDA cores because of how many there are. So at the end of the day, I kind of just see it being like relative to rasterization performance, next-gen architectures will probably increase ray tracing performance 10% better. So if you get a 70% better graphics card, it's maybe 80% better at ray tracing. You know, that's kind of what I expect for the next three years until RDNA 5. Because if you look at this chart, yeah, by the RDNA 4, you don't need better image quality or you don't need better resolution and frame rate. That's when they'll work on the ray tracing. But I don't see it happening until 2025 at the earliest. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to start out by saying, I think I disagree, but no, that's kind of my perspective is I think it's going to get increasingly difficult for graphics card producers to convince you that you need to buy the new high-end card, except for the people that feel the need to have the new high-end card every year. And by that point, by the time you get to that point where people are like, if I need a new card, I'll just get the mid-range one that's $400 and gives me 4K performance. Like once they're at that point, yeah, I think the only direction they can go is increasing stuff like uh, like ray tracing, which I think it, we're probably going to start really hitting there in like 2024, 2025. Yeah. Yeah, and and so that uh, uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying they won't start focusing on other stuff, and you could argue they already kind of are more so than rasterization right now. But slowly, right now. Right, and you have to understand they plan these architectures like three or yeah. five years ahead of time. So it's like, I think right now when they're planning RDNA 5, they're like more emphasis on ray tracing. Well, uh, yeah, I would say there there are smart people in AMD, NVIDIA, and Intel now that I think- And Apple. Yeah, Tim Apple. Uh, <laughs> I think they can all read the tea leaves and see where things are likely going because I'm not, I'm not a bit uh, an analyst, and I can see where I think things are going in the future. And they're p- paying people six figures full time to just yeah. look into where they think things will go. Like I don't think it takes a genius to predict that raster perform uh, rasterization performance is probably going to get less important over time because. We're frankly just at a point where it's like, we're there. We finished it. Next thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're, I think we're getting closer and closer to that. But until we get to that point, it makes sense to focus on architectural upgrades yeah. if it can benefit both rasterization and ray tracing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And much of the time it can, you know. Um, Hollow Knight writes in, he says, if RDNA 3 beats Lovelace by the worst case you said, 20%. So basically I said, I kind of think Lovelace is 60 to 80% better than Ampere. And I kind of think RDNA 3 is closer to 80 to 100 something percent better than RDNA 2. 
And RDNA 2 and Ampere are about the same. So I kind of expect RDNA 3 to beat Lovelace by 20%. He said, what are NVIDIA's options to keep Jensen's ego still able to say they are above AMD? Well, there's rumors they may launch a gaming version of MCM Hopper. And I have no idea if that's true. Okay. You know, I could see that though. I could see them doing that. What I would say is, and Daniel Nenny emphasizes this, Jensen has an ego and he doesn't like losing. So whatever he does, he'll figure it out for, and there's rumors Lovelace will use 500 Watts for the top yeah, model. I mean, so I, would, f- <laughs> I would say like, if we're at a 30% performance golf between the two highest end cards, there's not much they can do, but if they're in like 10, 15% performance, mm-hmm. eh, maybe if you double the amount of power they're using, they can eke out that performance crown for 500 Watts. And they, or they can say it's the same, but we're better at ray tracing. That's yeah. kind of what I expect them to do. And additionally, it sounds like everyone's expecting them to outship AMD, including people I'm now talking to at AMD, where it's like, I feel like AMD is going to double down on Radeon shipments next year far more than they did last year, which is this whole conversation on why they would do that. But at, at the same time, I still think NVIDIA is going to double down harder and just try to ship a boatload of dual-sourced cards, like some at Samsung, some at TSMC, and they're going to be like, you know, maybe they have the performance crown, but we've got this like rebranded GA104 we're calling the 3050 Ti that's underclocked. We're just going to ship a bazillion <laughs> of them. Yeah. You know, the one wild card here that I think people are underestimating is who says AMD is not going to do that with six nanometer rebrands of RDNA 2? We'll have to see. I, I would yeah. not surprise me if they try to do the same thing and they cut pull rabbit out of a hat in terms of shipment numbers. But that that's really what NVIDIA is going to do. Power usage maybe doing some double card that's insane and just all of a sudden supporting SLI again because they have to, and which, I mean, don't doubt it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just massively out shipping and getting the one high energy usage one to be close enough where they can pretend they have the same performance. That's All of these things are things they're for sure going to try to do because they don't like losing. Yeah. Dick Dickler writes in and he says, it's a bit funny that the most reliable source for RDNA 2 and 3 was, as you've been saying from day one, AMD themselves with the investor day slide. Just like the best source for a PS5 was Mark Cerny literally telling everyone everything. You'd think people would pay attention. Anyway, my question is, how does AMD know the approximate performance that far in advance? Is that during the pathfinding stage or after? Well, I guess I guess we already answered that question. Listen to what me and Daniel Nenny talk about. And if you're this far, take tick, I assume you listen to what me the discussion me and Dan just had. That's where. You know, conservatively, they think RDNA 3 will triple performance. They wanted to kind of make it clear to investors, hey, we're not going to say it directly, but it's where we think we're going to be. <laughs> All right. Gosh, Reese, why does Windows 10 Professional have to be so expensive? Don't listen to that, nerd. Listen to me. You can get all the great Windows and gaming keys you need at cdkeyoffers.com. That includes Steam, Origin, Uplay, PlayStation, PC, and many other keys, including Windows, Microsoft Word, and Professional. Use the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all of these fancy Windows keys and dashing for 3% off everything on the website.
One more time, dads, go to cdkoffers.com. They are a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead. Use offer code DOSHRINK for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows products. Now, back to the show. Let us move on then to story number four. NVIDIA DLAA Anti-Aliasing Review, DLSS at native resolution. This is a review of the new DLA, DLAA option from NVIDIA at Tech Power Up. NVIDIA DLAA Deep Learning Anti-Aliasing is a new AI-based anti-aliasing mode for users who have spare GPU headroom and want higher levels of image quality. DLAA uses the same technology developed for DLSS, Deep Learning Super Sampling, but works on a native resolution image to maximize image quality instead of boosting performance. The Elder Scrolls Online is the first game to support DLAA. This game also supports DLSS and classic TAA, so we are keen to take a look at this comparison. DLSS is designed to improve performance with minimal image loss. DLAA just tries to clean up an existing native resolution. And so kind of skipping ahead here in their review... As our comparison image shows, DLAA does an even better job at reconstructing the small objects. DLAA running at the native resolution does not completely save it from ghosting images ghosting issues, though, which are more pronounced in DLSS, to be fair. That being said, while ghosting is still there in DLAA, it was way less notable noticeable than DLSS running at the native res. You'll need to zoom in on the image to see it, and we do not believe people will notice it in normal gameplay. Many gamers have talked about the possibility of an ultra mode for DLSS to provide better image quality with minimal performance uplift, and that's what DLAA is. The option to run at a high image anti-aliasing solution with an upscaling component is finally here, and it indeed provides better image quality than TAA can do, but at a slight cost of around 8% GPU performance. So yeah, I mean, I think that's the big takeaway you know at the end of the day we're getting to these wildly high resolutions where msaa is kind of just absurdly wasteful same with super sampling even though super sampling is obviously the best uh daa kind of does a semi super sampling level of perform uh quality increase with only an eight percent hit i i actually think that's pretty cool it's turning on anti-aliasing which i never really do anymore because i game in 4k but it's only an eight percent hit to make it look a little sharper i think that's a nice option yeah, I, I, there's not too much more I can really add. Like, it just, it, it it's, makes sense that they would implement this. I'm not sure why they, they didn't implement it sooner. I mean, I guess at this point, it's still only in one game. So <laughs> we'll see how, how much more common it gets. But I'm always for new anti-aliasing technologies, especially, you know, if they're even minimally better than what we have there have right now it's still a new better option than like TAA yeah and i think this is an important inclusion in nvidia's you know exclusive features if you're deciding between amd and nvidia because an argument i made all the time a lot is half of these games with dlss and no fsr are easy to run so it's like what's the point in this yeah, like that's true and so, like, I want it in a game where it really helps a lot. And, well, okay, now we can add this, and you can make it look even sharper, and only NVIDIA can use it. Yeah, and I'm looking at it, you know, I think the difference is pretty subtle. But, yeah, it's 
appears to offer better anti-aliasing than TAA. So if you're running on a, if you're running the Elder Scrolls on like, I don't know, a 3090, I'm assuming you're going to get pretty good performance. So might as mm -hmm. well lower your frame rate a little bit and actually get a slightly higher quality image. Yeah. All right, then let us move on to story number five. NVIDIA GeForce, RTX 3080 Super, 3070 Super, and 3060 Super get rumored specifications. And I, I thought this one was kind of an important one to do just because it's, well, let me just do the write-up here. And this is kind of me modifying uh, a write-up from video cards. Copite on Twitter revealed the specs of the missing three SKUs of the upcoming RTX 30 series desktop series. It is worth noting that NVIDIA is also planning a refresh for its mobile GPUs, in fact. We've just covered a leak featuring that, but those are not included in today's information. The desktop super series is supposedly coming early 22, 2022 as a stopgap between Ampere and Lovelace, giving its existing SKUs a bit more power as yields improve on Samsung's 8 nanometer process and also preparing to improve the lineup for Intel Alchemist competition launching around this time. According to Copite, the 3080 Super might feature 8,960 CUDA cores, which to my knowledge is barely more than what's in the 3080, but it does come with a full 384-bit bus and GDR6X memory for 12 gigabytes of RAM. It also gets a bit more interesting looking at the 3070 Super, which supposedly offers the same amount of cores as the 3070, but gets the GDR6X upgrade. This would give NVIDIA more flexibility when it comes to supplying AIBs, who then may or may not flash Super BIOSes to the same dies and just use GDR6X <laughs> memory, which is worth emphasizing, guys. I've covered this in a leak. GDR6X is cheaper than GDR6 right now for NVIDIA. So launching this series and doing that with the 3070 SKU may literally just be, so they're like, yep, 5% strong, or probably still 8% stronger. I mean, it's let's be honest. Um, it's not the like 4% increase in cores on the 3070 Ti doing the legwork. It's all the bandwidth. Like it might literally just be cheaper for them to make this and then just drop it in the same price as a 3070. And then definitely the most interesting SKU from the upcoming Super Refresh is a 3060 Super. The card would allegedly feature more cores than a 3060 Ti, 5,632, but less than a 3070 and then supposedly have 12 gigabytes and six gigabyte offerings. So it would have to be a cut down bus on a GA104 GPU. Now, here's what I'm gonna say. I put this below it. I understand why leak websites are running with this like it's a main story and like it's confirmed because Copite's NVIDIA track record is very good. But I do feel these NVIDIA, this NVIDIA coverage needs to come with people actually reading what he said. Copite says the specs and naming don't make sense to him. Yeah, and he like, thinks this will change. I mean, I'm immediately looking like the 3060 Super is the one that stands out as the weirdest to me immediately where... The, Unless it's some new die that I don't know about. Well, yeah, but the 3060 Super, that looks like it would be made on GA104 if it's on right. one of the same dies, right? Unless and they're making a GA105. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I suppose. But like just going forward with what I was saying, like, if it's on an existing die, it would have to be on GA104. And I don't understand why they wouldn't call this a 3060 Ti Super. Or maybe they're like, that's too long of a name, so we don't want to call it that. But the na the naming just, especially to me, for the 3060 Super doesn't make sense if we're going with the other, the naming mm -hmm. schemes for the other cards where it's like, so the 3060 Super is now stronger than the Ti, but the other iterations of the 
Ti isn't as is stronger. I don't know. It's it seems like if this is what they come out with, the super lineup is even more all over the place than it would have been like with the uh, the Turing super launch. Yeah, and, and that's really all I have to say. I haven't honestly paid much attention to any of these super leaks. I have a couple sources yeah. I can ask about it, but at the end of the day, whatever NVIDIA wants to do with the super series, they can make that decision a month before it comes out. So kind of following it closely this early is, you know, it, it makes sense why they would do it. And we've talked about this in the last episode, I believe the last news episode, which is the reason you do a super refresh around Arc's launch isn't just a combat arc. It's they need to get a more efficient, refined laptop series out too, mm -hmm. because their current laptop series isn't that much better than Turing. And they tend to launch their laptop series after their desktop. So that means if Lovelace is coming out at the end of next year, they don't have a new laptop refresh for Alder Lake or really Raptor Lake until 2023. They got to get a super series out right around when the Alder Lake comes out so it can go in them flashy new laptops. And so that's why I think they're really doing this. And then it makes, like, why not? Why not do a 12 gigabyte 3080, basically, that's in between a 3080 and a 3080 Ti in performance, then mm -hmm. drop it into like 800 bucks. Why not launch a 3070 Super for 550? That's basically a 3070 Ti in performance, but by the way, it costs less to make than a 3070 because they have GDR6X exclusively basically for them. You know, they don't have to compete with anyone else to buy it right now. You know, why not launch a 3060 Super? I would feel like a 3060 Super would make more sense if it was the full die with 12 and 6 gigabytes because they're not even using the full die on 106. Yeah. And there's also rumors of a 103 die and then why not a 105 die? Honestly, why not give it more cores and, you know, go to uh, a 192-bit bus? I don't know. But all I can say is all of these things are options and I wouldn't double down on info yet. And also, I kind of feel like NVIDIA is just messing with leakers at this point. <laughs> like they're just throwing crap to AIVs to mess with them. Yeah, that might be true. Because I, I think they have to respond to some extent, both AMD and NVIDIA, to uh, Intel when their GPUs come out. And we already know that uh, Lovelace and RDNA 3 are probably, you know, about a year out, probably a little more than, almost definitely more than a year out from right now. So they need something in the meantime. And I, I don't know, this little three card stopgap thing makes sense, especially if they release it alongside, like, I don't know, a 3050 Ti or something. Yeah. Scott Herkelman, who's really QXE, by the way, writes in and he says, hi, Tom, here's a good wager. If anything above a 3090 or 6900 XT launches, you have to purchase it and review it. QXE, that's not a wager. A wager is you bet me something and you can lose. Oh. No. <laughs> this is him just telling you to buy... Yeah, the next into the, the next uh, flagship or Halo card to come out. So I don't think that's a wager. <laughs> no, that is not a wager. And also, I, I don't really feel like I am really interested in buying any 6900 XTX or 3090 Super or any of that. Definitely not the 3090 Super because I don't want to double my power usage for 40% more performance or 50% more performance over my 3070. Um, and I review these cards to get an idea of what the performance and usage is like per tier. I've tested a, a 6800 XT that was an above average overclocker. I've tested a 
3080 Ti. I've tested a 6700 XT and a 3070. I feel like I've got a good idea of, oh, and, I ha- and I've, I've got a 2060, so I know what a 3060 is like. <laughs> 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 Joking aside, but I, I, I get the rough idea of where these performance tiers are. You know, low-end ray tracing card like a 2060 Max-Q, mid-range 3070, high-end 3080 Ti. I don't need to know more. I just need to make sure I test these things so I'm not full of shit when I talk about them, frankly. Yeah. And so I really don't have interest in testing these. Now, I would like to try an A4000 still, but, you know, that's the type of thing where... that Or a W6800, like a decent high-end professional Radeon card. But outside of that, I'm just not that interested. I'm not hardware unboxed. And frankly, for that... By the way, guys, for that RDNA 3 and 4 leak, putting together the charts, I talked to Steve just what he thought, too. Like, I can just mm-hmm. ask hardware unboxed, you know? So he does that. I do this. All right. Let us move on, then, to story number six. AMD's Radeon Instinct accelerators that have leaked as mining cards are reportedly actually being sneaked into Chinese for HPC projects through Vietnam. So this was an interesting one that I want to cover briefly here, and I'm quoting from Tom's Hardware. Hungarian publication Pro Hardver has uncovered XFX's crafty strategy to put AMD Radeon Instinct accelerators into the hands of Chinese HPC customers. Well, the graphics cards can function as mining products. They actually serve a higher purpose. That's them covering. Everyone was like, these are mining cards. And I was like, no, they're not. Anyway, so according to Pro Hardver, the, which is spelled in a Hungarian way. So that's how I'm pronouncing it. Pro, forgive me, guys. The Navi 2022 graphics-based card in question is a custom-made model that XFX is selling to HPC customers, not mining customers, in China. The final assembly, which includes internal components and a passive cooler, is allegedly done in Vietnam to circumvent U.S. restrictions on technology exports to China Radeon Instinct accelerators are on the blacklist right now due to trade disputes going on, but these cards are not. And so they're basically like stripping down 6700s and making mm-hmm. them accelerators and giving them professional drivers. So customers and vendors had to get creative. They claimed that China previously obtained AMD's accelerators through Middle Eastern countries. However, the U.S. was quick to detect that route and closed it down. Consequently, AMD's partners are allegedly using supply routes through Vietnam to put their orders in. The scheme supposedly consists of AMD shipping the GPUs to a store in Vietnam, which the factories put everything together before shipping them to China. The Hungarian news outlet believes the U.S. is aware of this route and will find a way to block them in the near future. The reason I wanted to cover this isn't just to kind of update that kind of misrepresented story going on out there from a month ago, but also have a couple of contacts, including people in the region. And they all say, yeah, this is pro- this could very easily be true. Now, I asked one person, can you 100% confirm it's true? And he goes, think about what you're talking about. This is like light espionage and highly illegal. Anyone I know that could 100% confirm it wouldn't say won't. It. Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't like confirming some secret mining card or an upcoming architecture. People could get in big trouble if they have any connection to it. So I think this story is true, though, based on my contacts in that region, which I do have a couple. And uh, I don't know, Dan, what do you think about this? I think this is, we had to bring it up to correct the record, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, there's not too much I have to say about it. I mean, it's a kind of interesting story just from like the, you know, supply, like just from the supply chain perspective, I think it's an interesting story if all this is true. Beyond that, I don't have that much to say about it, though. Like, I think, I I think the the 
crafty strategy and ingenuity is itself interesting, but I don't think there's that much of an implication for people that use gaming hardware unless like this is a there's a huge uh stream of these cards going to this Vietnamese factory, which you know, I don't think there was any like hard numbers given on how many they think they're going, are there? No, I didn't see any, and you're not going to get any. Yeah. And I think it's worth bringing this up to point out, no, AMD is not shipping cards to miners. And no, this really isn't affecting the shortage. Uh, some sources told me they may literally be taking apart 6,700 XTs, making them a more professional version and selling them there. Hmm. Like, so this isn't really affecting, these are gaming cards. It's it's low numbers. If it were and high numbers. It's, not, it it's high like volume. AMD themselves is diverting dies right that's what yeah. i'm saying yeah you're and i would say this would only have an implication as for us like as far as supply goes if this was super high volume and also it's unclear to me on if this is like xfx's own thing that they're doing to make money or if this would be xfx amd through xfx to sell these cards to China because I'm I'm not sure how in bed XFX is with AMD. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's about all I have to say is we can't confirm much more than what this article says. And that's because there are lives on the line if anyone speaks on this one. So no one's going to tell you the full story anyways. Um, but let us move on then to another story that I suspect needs to be corrected for some people from the past couple of weeks. Story number seven, more confusion over a PS5 Zen architecture erupts on Twitter. That's what I'm calling it. So there's, of course, been all this hubbub about what actual architecture is the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. You know, I had the the infamous PS5 analysis video where in the thumbnail, I put Zen 3 next to the PS5. No, <laughs> no I put RDNA 3 next to the PS5. Although in the video, I didn't say it had RDNA 3, but I couldn't think of another way to convey the PS5 as cus custom architecture. And I knew it would get clicks. I'm just being honest. If you watch that video though, I didn't say it as RDNA 3. And I speculated on how it might be getting certain levels of performance with a certain size die and certain power usage. Most of that's just turned out, well, most of it's still fairly unconfirmed, to be honest. But it's not 3D stacked. It's using some iteration of Zen 2. And there's still people looking for why it's performing well. And I just want to say this at the beginning, actually, then. The reason the PS5 performs trades blows, shall we say, with the Series X. Some games the Series X does better, some games PS5 does better, is because their specs aren't that different, guys. That's why. That's the yeah. explanation, really, when you break it down. One of them is 18% more teraflops. 18% isn't a lot when the other one has such a higher clock speed, like a 20, 30% more higher clock speed. That means the cache is running that much faster. The ROPs are running. Everything in that die is running that much faster. Lower latency. It's going to average out to about a similar amount of real rasterization performance. The PS5 actually has a higher pixel fill rate, guys, than the Series X. That's why they roughly perform the same. The CPUs, Xbox is clocked a little faster. PS5 has be a better I.O., has more I.O. controllers to not use the CPU as much. CPU performance is pretty close, guys. So at the end of the day, though, there are still people digging for things. And there was a, a Twitter account, I think it's GPUs Are Magic, said that 
he called it Zen 2.5 and I talked to him and he's like, oh no, it's not Zen 2.5. I did that for fanboy <laughs> clickbait. And I don't blame him because honestly, like at a certain point, Xbox and PlayStation fanboys get so annoying that doing that, I kind of get why he wants to bait him. But it turns out some of the some of the calculations done, or I, I don't even remember, like the, the app used wasn't run correctly or something. No, the PS5 is not performing like or better than Zen 3 in gaming benchmarks. <laughs> yeah, the, what the corrected benchmarks show is that it's performing what exactly as, exactly as well as Zen 2, and there have clearly been parts of the parts of the architecture that have been completely removed. <laughs> For non-gaming, that would yeah. affect non-gaming tasks. They don't need it to be good at AVX workloads, guys. So, you know, and, and so that's really all there is to say, first of all, is the PS5's art custom Zen performs in gaming like Zen 2. That's about all there is to say, but it, it's been made smaller. And that's something a lot of people, because I've seen some people look at it and say it's not much smaller. It is. The cores take up half the space or something, as far as I can tell, compared to desktop Zen 2 or parts of the core do. So there's a reason they stripped out parts of it. Any place you can save die space saves you money. And I'm pretty confident they did this all over the APU's design. They're like, does the GPU really need this for just gaming? No, take it out. Does this need this? And just here and there, they made a die that's 20% smaller than the Series X. Same performance. And it's clocked fast, you know. So that's why they did these things. The only other thing that I will add is I did talk to someone at AMD with experience in APU design about this. And this is someone that doesn't typically give me big leaks, but is happy to clarify things so people don't have, you know, incorrect info. And mm -hmm. he's like, the reason this was done is for more consistent power delivery. So a lot of these things they pulled out and a lot of these other instructions, he said were very power spiky. So this allows for more consistent voltage and power delivery and more consistent heat density across the APU to have it operate this way. And it makes the die a little smaller. That's why Sony did it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you, I mean, do you have anything else to add to that? You know, no, not really. I, I just don't think there's too much to say. Like, like you put in this right up, it's the, the Series X and PS5 Despite being both sold as gaming consoles, they're, the Xbox Series X's APU is also meant for a different task. So it needs mm -hmm. it uses a less custom uh, architecture than uh, the PS5 because it's also a more general use SoC than the PS5s. Yeah, you know it's twenty percent bigger, so it's more expensive to make. Why? Because they're using it in servers, and so it needs that for the PlayStation. Just make it easier to program, regulate power, more like, and make it smaller so we can make more of them. That's really all there is to say about it. The PS5 does not have Zen 2.5. It doesn't have Zen 1.5 either. It has its own custom, I guess, if you want to call it Zen 2. But frankly, all of these, and the, I talked to this AMD contact, and again, he's like, yeah, both the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox have features desktop RDNA 2 doesn't have. But they also lack some features, like variable rate shading. There's like less advanced variable rate shading on the PS5. I think the Xbox Series X has more advanced than desktop RDNA 2. But the PS5 has like a method of, it's above my head of doing it where it's like a more consistent, I don't want to get into it. There's a reason they do the geometry the way they do it with the PS5 that they thought was easier and more consistent performance. That's the best I can do to explain it. Yeah, it, it's it's not Zen 2.5, it's not Zen 1.5. The Xbox Series X isn't Zen 
I don't know, it isn't Zen 2.5 either. It's their different forks in an architecture that the starting point, I assume, is some, something that would have been called Zen 2. There, it's a different thing. It's a fork that will not become Zen 3, that w- didn't come from Zen 1 and won't become Zen 3 at some point. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> it's a different adaptation of Zen 2. Oh, and one more thing. And um, I mean, this would be something that I think a lot of people should share. This AMD contact also said this. Benchmarking stuff on the 4700S doesn't prove shit. Like, you don't know what they could have disabled on that die before they sold it to consumers that can run Windows. Yeah. So, same goes for any Xbox SoC that emerges. Could it prove something? Not unless AMD openly confirms something. Uh, No, you're testing a 4700S, which seems about as good at gaming as, like, Renoir. But it also isn't as good at other tasks. Is that because they disabled some things? that weren't, you know, is it because it's missing some things that are in typical desktop Zen 2? Yes. But is all the performance indicative of exactly what a PS5 would do? Not necessarily, because we don't know what's been disabled in certain parts of the die. Yeah. Falto writes him, you know what's ironic? In the console market, Sony has an easy, simple naming scheme. PlayStation 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But if you look at their smartphone naming scheme, it's worse than the Xbox naming scheme. Like, they go from X to S to T to Z to adding numbers next to Z. Then at a cherry on top, they change Xperia 1 from 2019 and did not learn the terrible Xbox One name they decided to copy. They actually called it the Xperia 1 and it was the Xbox One. Now they're, they have ones called the Xperia 1-3, laughing my ass off. I, I couldn't agree more. I think their current naming scheme is absurd. Yeah, it is. And I've seen some people say it makes sense. I'm like, not to me. (laughs) I don't think it does. I think it's silly. I think saying Xbox One was silly, too. I think having it even worse, though, and going 1-3 is... I mean, what if they called it the Xbox One 2 for the Series X? That's effectively what Sony's done with their phones, and it's it's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) It's an objectively terrible naming scheme. I don't care if you say, well... Actually, if you look at how they did it, it really makes sense. No, it doesn't, because now I need to look at a history lesson to understand their naming schemes. Exactly. All right, let us move on then to the wrap-up. So not that much in the wrap-up here, but let's just go through them quickly. The first one is something I want to touch on. I actually believe this comes from a while ago, probably could have technically made it into the previous news episode, but GeForce leaked all these Sony and non-Sony exclusives. And I just have to say that from my perspective, most of this is probably true, if not all of it. And NVIDIA's trying to hedge, but they just fucked up. I don't know why they put all these pictures and unreleased games in their beta and their internal Slides. Yeah, and as far as I can tell, like the guy with who, uh, what's his name, e, uh, Igor July, was able to access this by just what <laughs> modifying the code that's publicly available to him on his desktop to be able to get into their uh, uh, <laughs> into like <laughs> this huge catalog of unreleased games that are uh, in their GeForce Now database. Like, I don't know wh- how this was publicly available 
Uh, but yeah, it's a big mistake. I know some companies have even come out and saying, like, denied that they're working on these projects, which I'm not even sure what that means, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, this isn't good. Uh, the alternative is NVIDIA put together what they think will be out at that time to make it look cool in an internal presentation. And they made up these games, which I guess, but it doesn't. Seem like it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems like NVIDIA massively pissed off everyone by leaking multiple companies' roadmaps for years it, for absolutely no reason. Well, they didn't leak it. A guy was just able to easily access all of it by looking at the code in GeForce Now. I mean, it's unforgivable how easy it was for someone to access that, though. Yeah, I, I guess I don't have much more to add. Besides yeah. that, uh, except that I am guessing most of it's true. And this wasn't just, yeah, I don't know. It's And the way they're trying to like, well, this is not direct confirmation. And it's just like, it is, but okay, man. Anyway, so let's move on. Uh, the 5700 XT finally gets smart access memory. I don't think we need a story for that, but it's like, yeah, RDNA 1 finally got it. RDNA 2 has gotten an update for way better machine learning performance in some apps. And, and what I want to point out for this is like over 4Xing performance in some of these apps for like TensorFlow and DirectML that they had before mm -hmm. is people are like, is RDNA 2 good at machine learning? I was always told before the launch, RDNA 2 is pretty good at machine learning tasks, but that at the end of the day, what's going on right now, why they don't have a ton of professional cards out of why it took them so long at least, and why they're not shipping almost any of them is I think they see RDNA 2 as a time to ship as many gamer cards as they can while still probably focusing on Zen 3 the most because technically they have a performance lead over Intel right now. So why not ship that over, in, over worrying about these graphics cards that have huge dies versus the small little Zen 3 chiplets? And they're just trying to get their drivers at the same level as NVIDIA before RDNA 3 comes out because RDNA 3 is the one that's going to have the performance crown. So I, I just think that's what they're focusing on. And... and it's not that RDNA 2 couldn't have been good competition. It just wasn't ready with the drivers for machine learning tasks and non-gaming tasks. And so I think they're just going to try to perfect RDNA 2 and then launch RDNA 3 with good professional drivers in a full lineup when it comes out. Because mm -hmm. that's when they have the crown. That's what I think. Um, AM5 socket coolers. I mean, so I guess there you go, Dan. We know the shape of AM5 because the company's selling coolers for it already. It's awesome, y right? Yep. Uh <laughs> I love how this stuff always seems to just leak out through the weirdest places. <laughs> Not much else to add to it, but I guess we know what it looks like now. Yeah, we also have Zen 3 Milan X specs. So Executable Fix is leaking the entire Milan X Zen 3D lineup for Threadripper slash Epic. And, well, I guess really for Epic. For in this circumstance. And yeah, I mean, you have 64 core processors with 768 megabytes of L3 cache. <laughs> um, and remember, I leaked my roadmap for Threadripper coming out over the next three years. Guys, if you want to know when Threadripper is coming out, I have the leak, all of it going from Zen 3, Zen 3D, which sounds like there will be a full Zen 3D Threadripper lineup probably mid to late next year, followed by a Zen 4 lineup in 2023. So there you go. And I guess it has that much cash. <laughs> how, uh, how much is that over Milan? I don't remember. That's a Milan of 256. So, uh, so it has 32 L3. Oh, no, 256 L3. 
I'm right, Dan. You were right. You were wrong to doubt me. I should, I'll never doubt you again. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that was good. I didn't remember for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but then moving on, TSMC, 6 nanometer was chosen by Intel supposedly because they wanted more capacity, which I think people need to understand that. Although, really, I think it's like TSMC has a lot of experience having hard designs work that are graphics cards. Yeah. And that's somewhat of a different skill than just putting your own CPU on there. But yeah, I mean... I, at least right now, Intel saying, hey, look, we're going with TSMC 6 nanometer because it will give us more capacity, you know? So, and I, I do believe they're not lying, at least with that aspect. I just don't think that's the full story. Yeah. Um, GA104 RTX 3060 emerges. <laughs> I think this is a dual 8-pin GA104 based uh, 3060. Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't mind testing that. It'd be hilarious if it's, because this happened before. They had a TU-106, a TU-106 based 2060 that could do ray tracing significantly better than the other 2060 despite having the same core count because of the tensor core difference. So that's interesting. Yeah, was it, uh, was that only sold in other, not the U.S. I'm guessing then too? Or No, they sold it in the U.S., just not in super high volume is my okay. understanding. Or less volume than I think anyone else reported. I mean, it'll uh, be interesting to see performance differences uh, how this performs differently to the normal 3060 but i don't know what else there is to add to that it's just i don't know kind of fun to see these pop up amd at 16 percent server market share i believe about around now they were hoping to get to 10 percent. so that's pretty crazy if that's really where they're at based on this one firm that analyzed it um, and I mean, I know their ultimate goal is 25%, I think by like, tw- I don't remember at the top of my head, but I think by like 2025 or something and they're yeah. on track kind of, I mean, and I think, you know, as much as we're talking about Intel catching up in laptop and mostly catching up in desktop over the next two years in terms of, Hey, next year, 64 Emerald Rapids versus 80, 96 core Genoa, probably like a 128 core Granite Rapids versus I don't know. I mean, 128 core Bergamo half a year before it. And then it's, I mean, AMD is going to be in charge in Epic for the next, yeah, for the next few years. I think they're on track to get to the market they need to get to, to really cement a war chest of money for long-term competition. So that's good. And then EVGA X570 is out. I have nothing to add except that (laughs) that came out of nowhere and now you can get it, you know? And finally, guys, OLED monitors are here. For $4,000 for only 32 inches. I Hey, and Tom, excellent frame rates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 60 hertz as well. You're better off getting a 48-inch 48 48-inch 48 OLED TV from LG for about a third the price. Hopefully the prices will come down a bit next year, but I guess OLED is finally in monitor form, Tom. I mean, it already was. I think Asus had a $5,000 portable 20-inch one. Uh, OLED is finally in... $4,000 form for monitors. I mean, it's, hey, 20 inches for 5,000 last year to 32 inches for 4,000. That's a seismic increase in price performance. But from my perspective, that next year is when we're probably going to get the 4K 120 hertz ones. I, I've heard that they yeah. some might come out this holiday, but no, nah, it's next year, I think. And the, a question I keep getting asked, you know, I did that Concept D review where I'm like, should you wait for OLED monitors or get like a $700 4K 120 IPS one now? Get the IPS one now. (laughs) I mean, guys, uh, 
it's still me a few years before OLED is reasonably priced on monitor form. So if you can fit an LG TV on your desk or get it to work like that, do that. Otherwise, just get the IPS one for half the price. All right, Dan, let us get to the final reader mails then. Hollow Knight writes in, you've said that your numbers for Zen 4 performance uplift may or may not be relative to Zen 3 or Zen 3D, right? Because my sources said 25% performance increase over Zen 3, but I guess I never, that was before I knew Zen 3D was going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the question is, so is this going to be 25% better than the next gen or... For now, I would say it probably just means 25% better single-threaded than Zen 3. And that means at least a 20, a 10% better than Zen 3D. But note, all my leaks said or higher. So mm-hmm. for all we know, Zen 3 is 35% IPC increase, 30% IPC increase over Zen 3, meaning 15% over Zen 3D, keeping their like 15% per year with higher clock speeds thing they keep seemingly doing. Yeah. Um, G.S. Wind writes in, Hi, Tom and Dan, or guest, it's just Dan, says, In Dying 55, you guys discuss cheaters in online multiplayer games. Have you seen that Riot Games may institute anti-cheat software that utilizes TPM 2.0? Oh, my. Oh, wow. So, and secure, like, so, like, literally, like, voltage controls and secure boot for Windows 11 to potentially flag cheaters at the hardware level for PC requiring cheaters to at least change TPM module or possibly the motherboard and CPU with BIOS flashes. What are your thoughts on this? I predominantly game on PC when my wife plays on PS5 and just like you guys have felt that cheating is so prevalent that I just want to go back to single player and RPG gaming only looking at you Bethesda for my next Fallout installment. Thanks for all the great content and insights. Please keep up the good work. You know what? Honestly, what I would say is this. At the end of the day, if it works, it works. And if they can get it to work, it works. But I would wonder if there's a way to... I'm skeptical of its ability still to detect certain programs. But we'll see. Giving games more access or lower level access to your computer would be a little concerning to me just from like a security perspective because now I'd be a little worried that games could become a new uh, there could be a new vector of attack on your system or your bank account with pc i mean with gaming right you know i i had someone who worked at activision hint that there may have been small security breaches around the company and that's why some activision accounts may get locked down so who's to say someone couldn't find a way then to steal my credit card info because i play call of duty that's my worry yeah and i I think we've seen in the past, not necessarily gaming companies, but companies in general don't really give a shit about the security of your data. So, I mean, they say they do, but just constant security breaches from these companies. Tell that to the, I don't remember which company it was, but but one of the companies that tracks credit scores that leaked half oh, yeah. of Americans' <laughs> information. Timo writes in, Feedback, yo, thanks, Tom and Dan. I'm now hooked on the Knockback podcast, draining productive time for hours and hours. And that was, I believe, after they said, what's a good episode on the PS1? I think it was episode 13 of Knockback. That's the best podcast I've heard summarize kind of what happened with the fallout between Nintendo and PlayStation. So yeah, I mean, you know, Last Damn Media is a friend of the show, uh, for (laughs) sure. And uh, Knockback is a very good podcast. I can't recommend it enough. All right, Dan, I mean, you know what? That's going to just about do it for this episode. We did it. 
We had more stories than usual. It's maybe a little shorter than on average, but as usual, it just seems like at this point, we just consistently are within 10% of the two-hour time frame, just every time. Yeah, you're right. We've got we've gotten it pretty, pretty consistent, I think, at this point. We used to have like 70-minute to three-hour episodes. We used to be all over the place. That seems to be a trend with podcasts, is they're more all over the place in the beginning, especially coming from one of the co-hosts being a person that literally never did any type of <laughs> yeah. communication to uh, the public before. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how yeah, we, we wanted to keep it around an hour 20 and then just kept getting longer and longer until it was getting to like two hours and 30 minutes pretty consistently. And then I made a concerted effort at the beginning of this year to redo the script template and be like, we're going to make us only talk about like the top six, maybe top seven stories. Everything else goes in a wrap up. If, Unless if we have too truly... many stories, you know, is this really an important thing to talk about the Super Series again? Maybe because of a new piece of info, but do we really need to talk about, oh, no, Alder Lake beat Zen 3 by 20%. Does that need its own story? We've talked about Alder Lake enough. You already know what it's going to be, guys. Yeah. And I noticed, like, if you keep putting the same names in the title of the story of the episode, people don't click as often because they're like, is that a new episode? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we are talking about all these companies and, you know, some weeks there's more stories about them and some weeks there aren't. Now we're making a concerted effort to not retread as much old ground as as we used to. And so hopefully you enjoy it. And you know what? If you do, consider supporting us on Patreon. You get ad-free ex- uh, early access to episodes. Die Shrink, ask me and guest questions. Ask Dan questions as well. You're included. You're not a guest. You're a co-host. I don't like when people say and or other guests. Dan's a co-host every other yeah. week. And it's it's pretty easy to tell when I'm going to be on an episode because I'm on all of the even number episodes. Oh, that's true. And guests are on all of the odd number episodes with the odd appearance of me as a, another co-host. But yeah, I'm and on the even episodes. <laughs> That's a good point. And then uh, also, you know, share our episodes uh, with people. Remember, subscribe to Broken Silicon on your preferred podcast app and give us a review. That's an avenue of supporting us that we probably don't say enough. It really does help when you subscribe on like Apple Podcasts or something or Stitcher. Then we go up in the charts. Then it gets suggested to other people who maybe don't watch a lot of YouTube. And the reviews help a lot as well. So all of those things are out there. And besides that, Dan, I'm pretty tired tonight. I think it's time to uh, close this one out. I agree. I was waiting, you were like, you're a kid, is there something witty to say? And it's like, nope, you're tired too. Just going to say something stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking idiot. All right, Dan, you're not a fucking idiot. You're my brother. And I I love you and I love everyone who listens. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, 
Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, Please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akwari, Frederick Lau, MetroCore, Justin Pierce, Zachary Martin, Terrence Hare, Jita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, The Ninth Dude, Jesse Jaskowiak, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Goody, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Disaru, Daniel Hyde, Agaim PA81, Nathan Mose, Coladic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Matthew Lendavazo, My Name Is Nobody, Judson N, Elethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Great T. Wanjik, Ivan214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Rigas Licata, Michael McGee, Ali Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Anthony Gareffa, Joaquin Hagen, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Acosta, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Alenia, Nanya, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galinowski, Ivan Clifford, Dark Rain 2049, Leighton Perry, Joseph Karen, Brett Summers, Judd Y., Denovan Russell, Noah Nicola, Zlicky, Martin Porchaggi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Duhuhu, Sarah Light, Mitchell Pell, Brett Summers, Eddie Del Castile, Joseph Floria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valcom Alev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie Kaluyak Souza. Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, My, Na- My Sharona, Y. Truey, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Shang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amiable Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy and G, Mads, Gordon Freeman, Benjamin Osley, Z Jits, Shield TV Couteau, Aaron John Wissing, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy Show, and James Anderson. And thank you to Sahara for the music. Thank you.